The following podcast is part of the Root Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the freshest installment of the Two Spheres podcast, where we discover the different spheres in our city and our community and look for the commonalities between the two. David, I feel like it's been always, always, always in our minds to get these guys on the show today, but we're so pumped to finally find a time to get them coming on. Yeah, I feel like we've been talking about it for ages, and I don't know if that's because we're in this, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, Groundhog Day situation with COVID, where every week, every day feels twice as long as it should. But I uh, definitely, I know we've been talking about these guys for a while, so excited to to get them on the show. And I, I mentioned earlier, David, on uh, I think it was episode two of this season, where the majority of my closet is filled with the, these guys' clothing brand. Uh, I'm currently wearing. That. Yes, yeah. and I, I complimented you, or I complimented them by way of you, by you know noticing your uh, sartorial splendor and how you always look dressed to the nine. So that's it. You know, whatever whatever it is they're doing, they're doing something right because you always look quite dapper. Oh well, David, thank you. Wow, look at this. We're we're getting just showering me with brilliance. I'm always a big fan of that. So we have the founders of State and Liberty on the show today, and like we've just been saying, I've been a fan of this brand from the very start. We have a coworker at Root who uh, was buddies with these guys back in college, and really, um, you know, made the introduction. And I have been a fan ever since. So we've got uh, Lee Moffy. Am I saying that last name correctly, Lee? Nailed it. Lee Moffey and we have Stephen Fisher, both co-founders of State and Liberty. Gentlemen, glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for having us. We are certainly pumped. So our first question we always ask to our guests when we come on is really, what is your sphere? And before I have you answer that, I just want to mention, and to David's uh, point a little earlier, you know, we have uh, always bring on different spheres on this show. A lot of times we bring on uh, two people from two separate organizations are two separate spheres. But we had a really interesting uh, episode last season. We brought on two women from the same organization and really had an, a really impactful conversation about how those two are different and similar in running their business and how there's really cohesion in in operating. And so I'm kind of thinking, David, we're starting a little trend where one episode in each season is going to have a feature of one organization and two awesome founders in an organization. What do you think? I think so. And especially if we keep it in the uh, the clothing realm as well. So, you know, we can just kind of run that thread even further down. Indeed. So, yeah, the, the first question I'll ask you guys and Lee, maybe we'll start with you is just to describe your sphere and uh, to go one step further. Your sphere is your sphere of influence, your sphere of operating, kind of who you are, what you do. Just tell us a little about your sphere. Yeah, Um yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, as far as like the company is concerned, um, you know, my sphere here is, is you know more on the kind of branding, uh, marketing side, and you know I think as you kind of mentioned earlier, um, you know, Steve and I definitely have our, our areas where um, maybe have more focus and and kind of what we feel more comfortable with, but there really is a lot of overlap in kind of what we do, um, and really leaning on each other for uh, you know advice uh, and, and kind of feedback on the stuff that we're doing. So you know although our roles are different, they're certainly inter- intertwined in, in a lot of ways, but um, yeah, I think, I think we're going to find that our, our stuff is a little bit similar, but, um, you know, both, both running operations day to day, uh, managing people, uh, managing the brand, the products, um, you know, really kind of the marketing, it really kind of you know covers everything. And I think that's a part of us being a, a bootstrapped small business here is, um, you know, we still have our hands in, in a lot of the day to day stuff that's going on. For sure. For sure. And Steven, how about for you? What, how would you describe your sphere? 
Yeah, I think like Lee said, I think that we, I think when we were originally starting out, uh, we read an interview, I think it was with the Sam Adams Brewery co-founder or founder um, who talked about how when you start a company, you're the CEO, but that's not the chief executive officer, it's the chief everything officer. Um, and I think that, you know, we've really taken that to heart that like, there's no, you know, nothing's too small or no jobs too small that we shouldn't be interested or be a part of it. Um, that being said, like Lee was saying, I think he definitely is more on the branding and marketing and, you know, side of that, uh, side of the company. And I've, you know, because of my background, you know, started out much more on the tech and number side. Um, so although we, uh, overlap all over the place, we sort of, you know, specialize a little bit in sort of those spheres, I guess. And I guess to, to kind of like, you know, add on to that too is our spheres are seem like they're they change by the hour, uh, yeah. by the by the employee count, by the number of stores, whatever issues going on. So um, it's recognizing kind of where we need to be um, and adjusting our day to day and you know our role at the company to uh, to fit and take care of that stuff. I think it's sort of I think it's funny early on. I think we um, played up our differences a lot more. I, I feel like um, we used to talk about this a lot, but we were talking to somebody or heard somebody talk, and they were saying how you really want to founders who are you know have completely different skill sets um and so i think we for a while we were really playing up that like you know i was the math numbers guy and lee couldn't add um and lee was like the branding you know a marketing guy and i couldn't speak to another human um <laughs> and i think that we realized that like having people actually that um you know complement each other but also you know understand what the other person's doing is actually really beneficial um it doesn't mean that like you know you can't be helpful in in other places as well for sure. Yeah. And talk to us a little bit about kind of the, the backgrounds and how you've kind of parlayed your backgrounds to bringing State Liberty together. So, Stephen, I understand that your background is in data analytics and complex systems before starting the business. And Lee, you're you know really focused on professional hockey. And so both those things are very prominent in your branding and I think in how you reach customers through data analytics and understanding a lot about your customers. So talk a little about how those two spheres came together to form State and Liberty. Yeah, I think, um, you know, just like back to some, some origin, a little bit of how we got going. I was playing hockey. Steve was uh, working for the Detroit Tigers doing data analytics. Uh, I was actually in between my first and second year of playing professionally. I was staying at Steve's, uh, Steve's parents' place where, where he was as well. So we were living together for the summers. I was training. Um, and it really did start as simple as like, Hey, we have this idea for a better fitting dress shirt made from this performance fabric that's professional looking, um, and you can wear it, you know, to the office every day. Um, and it was really Steve who had started um, another another company online business before we got going. That said, like, hey, I think this is a, a really good idea, and if you think we can nail down a product, and you think that you can like sell it to the hockey guys and like our media network, like I can get this business off the ground. Um, so I think initially it really was like a, a really good meshing of, uh, you know he can get this business off the ground. I feel like I have a pretty strong network to sell this to. Let's give it a shot and kind of see how it goes. Steve, would you agree with that or add anything to it? Yeah, no, I, I would. I, I think that, um, you know, I was working on, I was doing the tiger stuff and then we were working on a, like a wrestling apparel company as well. Um, and so I sort of had like the, the raw skill set, I guess, or just like maybe the naivete to think that we could just get this up and running pretty quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, I think in this day and age, it is pretty easy to, you know, start a company, um, you know, obviously making it sustainable and, you know, keeping it rolling and all these things are really difficult. But in terms of, you know, getting a, a website up and, you know, that side of it, it's it's really not that hard. 
um, you know, iterating on that and, and making a great product, et cetera, um, is definitely difficult um, and can't be understated as like, you know, how important that is. Um, and I would say that if we look back on that first product, we are not, it's not something that we would even, you know, sell in a sample sale to our customers now. Um, but uh, at the time we were pretty proud of it. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was just a great, great match, I would say in the beginning of, you know, um, being able to just get it up and running and being able to run with, you know, some of the sales at the time as well. Maybe tell us a little bit about the brand that you guys have built. I mean, cause it sounds like you, you started with, you know, some ideas around, you know, a product that filled a, uh, or addressed a need in the market that wasn't really being addressed in any kind of a consistent way. Uh, but it's kind of grown beyond that into, you know, I would say almost close to, you know, more of a lifestyle brand. And so how have you guys sort of navigated that transition from, you know, product into much more of a robust and established brand? We, we kind of have like funny conversations of like these companies that are, if they're going to like pitch you on something, we're going to like develop this, like this great brand is what the brand's going to be. But like for us, it just kind of like, it just went that way with like the storytelling of how we were trying to sell the product. Um, and that storytelling was like, we're grouping in all these guys who are, have an athletic build. They're broader in the shoulders, chest and arms. They're narrow in the waist. And we're, we're telling this story that no one right now is catering to their body type. Um, and everyone says, you know, the market's too small and, um, you know, it's never going to work or whatever it is, but we really got those guys and that core group of, of individuals behind our brand through that storytelling of this doesn't exist for you. And this is a void in your closet and we're going to fill it. Um, and although we keep on coming out with new products, uh, pants, coats, suits, blazers, whatever it is, like that storytelling is still a big part of what we do. And we've made the storytelling easy, not only for us to sell, but for our customers to sell to their friends and their network. Uh, and that really has, I guess, become our brand of being the go-to guys who are going to cater to this tailored fit for a guy with an athletic build. Um, and I don't know if we like set out for that to be the, the case, but um, just like our storytelling of pitching the product, of selling the product has kind of like turned into this, this brand. I think with that too, I, I think because so much of the brand, you know, in that first year we defined as the fit, which I think, you know, was, was the real void in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, that's lent itself super well to expanding from dress shirts to polos, to suits, to overcoats, to t-shirts, to whatever that, you know, where there isn't a great product for the guy with an athletic build. So you know, that made it a lot easier to expand out and become the sort of lifestyle brand when like, the sort of origin story of the brand was about a lifestyle of, you know, being fit and not having clothes to fit. Wow. Love it. And so it was more about the build and the fit and focusing on that specific body type more than it was the, like the functionality came second. Is that what I'm hearing? Like the, certainly it was the both and, but the gap in the market was that we, there's not a type of clothing brand out there that fits these really, you know, V shape or however you say it, like reverse triangle shape, uh, folks, but talk a little about how the the functionality of it is so much easier and so much more efficient when comparing it to other dress shirts. So you have to dry clean. I think that um, I certainly never want to give our give us credit for doing anything, but I think that's something that we recognized early on. Of like, you know, a couple of companies were making more formal dress wear from this performance type fabric that is stretchy, moisture wicking, super low maintenance, wrinkle free. You don't have to dry clean it. Um, 
and we definitely felt like the trend was heading in that direction. And at some point, all these big, big box retailers would be coming out with fabric like this. Uh, I think at the time, we felt that no one was doing it in a professional way. I think that was a big difference for us. I do think that companies are doing it now. I still think we do it better. But um, And the fit thing really became, and I wouldn't say it actually started out that way. I think we thought that the fabric was going to be um, like the big selling point to people. But when we got customer feedback, that was like, this thing fits me better than anything I've ever worn before. And, um, you know, I don't have to get a tailor. That's like the biggest thing with these guys is that they all know their tailor really well because they're used to buying stuff that's two sizes too big and they have to bring it in. So, um, yeah, I think that we, we recognize that that performance fabric in dresswear was going to become a thing pretty early on, um, but knew early on that the fit was going to be the real difference maker. You know, fit quality um, and professional look was going to be the big difference for us to be successful. I would say too, I think, you know, in the beginning, a little bit of that fit was probably, again, our naivete. It's like, we didn't, we didn't really know what we were doing with the fit other than making stuff that like fit us well. You know, Got was, it. We were our first, us and our friends, right? We're like the first, you know, people that were trying on stuff and prototyping it. And, you know, we were trying to find stuff that fit us um, because we didn't think it was out there. Love it. And much, I'm, go ahead, David. Much, sorry. Yeah, I'm just curious. You know, how much experience did you guys have? Because you know, it sounds like this naivete that you had actually really kind of set you guys up to to you know be successful because it allowed you to do things that may have been a little uncon- unconventional at the time. And so, I'm just curious. You know, how much experience did you guys have with the apparel industry, and what was um, you know what was your relationship to the apparel industry prior to getting into this? I would say our relationship with the apparel industry was that we liked buying stuff from the industry. Consumers, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, we had we had no other relationship with the industry. We didn't really know anything about, you know, making clothes or anything else. Um, it was just figure it out as we go. I think my my only like real claim to fame as far as like clothing or whatever was I feel like I was one of the first guys I was wearing Lululemon when it was like they had like three male products and it was all female <laughs> and I would just get ripped on relentlessly by like friends teammates for like wearing the stuff and i was like it's, it looks really good and it feels even better like you guys should should check this out um but i, I do feel like it was definitely onto that you know a little bit a little bit earlier yeah so you had kind of discovered the benefits of wearing fab technical fabrics that you know felt good that wore well and were you know extremely comfortable and easy to take care of and so you know that uh, you know sort of certainly had planted the seed i guess I mean, before we even started the company or had even conversations of starting the company, our personal R&D budget was pretty good as far as checking out what was out there. And we, we absolutely would without even like knowing or like having a company, a plan to start the company, you find something, shoot it over to them and say, hey, I just like, I just saw this stuff, you know, you should check it out. Um, and we were definitely going back and forth on, I'd say like a lot of like kind of business stuff, but uh, more specifically clothing for sure. Yeah. So, so what are you guys doing in, you know, in your operation or in your, you know, marketing efforts to identify the guys like you, you know, sort of those early adopters who are out there who are willing to, you know, invest some of their, a lot of their own money in personal R&D. How are you, you know, identifying those people and what are you doing to keep them kind of connected to the brand? I mean, I, I think in terms of finding new customers, you know, obviously social media and the internet's made that a lot easier. You know, you can sort of put out there what you're doing, um, I think the the thing that we've learned on the marketing side is that you just have to be extremely blatant um, and extremely just like glaringly obvious with like what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, 
So being you know super aggressive with like athletic fit, hurtless guy, you know, wearing a shirt that fits terribly, now a shirt that fits great, um, you know, showing off the stretch, et cetera. Um, I think, uh, I think for us, a really fun thing has been opening stores the past couple of years as well. Um, and being, you know, we talk about it all the time, but it's crazy to us that so many brands have stores and they don't put on the outside of the store what they do. They put a name up top and then, you know, expect you to sort of figure it out. You know, if you walk by any one of our stores, um, you're going to completely understand who we are as a company, you know, athletic fit, men's dress clothes, you know, stretchy, moisture wicking, et cetera. It's all on the window. It's all written out for you to see. Um, and I, I sort of feel like it's, you know, for us, it's putting the, putting the word out there um, so that people really, really understand what we do. And I think from obviously the marketing is huge and Google, Instagram, Facebook, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, our customer base telling their friends, their family, their coworkers um, about what we do is is the best way to spread the brand. And we've been super fortunate. I think because we cater to such a small relative audience um, that they just feel like they're a part of this you know kind of club um, that wears our stuff and, and they can't wait to share with their buddies um, what we do. I mean, I, from my personal experience, being such a fan of the brand, um, that's, that's absolutely true. And it's not just like, oh, I have a friend of a friend who started these companies. Like, it wasn't that. It was literally like, guys, check out how stretchy this shirt is. Look at how good this looks. Look at how like efficient this is to wear to a wedding when it's 100 degrees. So it's, it's inherently just by nature of the product being so damn good allows people the energy to want to be able to, to spread that. So kudos to you guys for, for putting such an awesome product out there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really curious. I, I really, David and I were talking about this. A lot of our clients really are from a customer experience perspective are starting to, I think things are starting to go in a different direction now, but this idea of e-commerce moving into uh, brick and mortar seems to be a little bit of the opposite in what our, most of our clients are seeing at the large scale. Um, so I'm really curious when you thought about your e-commerce uh, strategy and how you wanted to enter into the brick and mortar space. What were the decision points and reason why you thought that was a really good strategic play for you all? And it seems like it's going well since you're up to what, 11, 12 different stores now. That's right. 12. Yeah. Uh, and opening up another one um, in the next, next couple of weeks here. Uh, I would say the, the brick and mortar thing kind of happened uh, by accident in a, in a way. Uh, we've just heard the worst things about, you know, physical retail and how big of a pain it is. Um, how challenging it is and all those things are definitely true. But uh, I think it was two or three summers ago, we had a guy who had a space in uh, on Newberry Street in Boston and, you know, got us a really good deal to come in for 10 days and do a little pop-up. And we had a good customer base there, um, opened up for those 10 days. And, you know, I think we, we did it on just an absolute shoestring budget. Steve and I did it ourselves and we ran it ourselves and we just kind of became obsessed with the customer experience in there. And, you know, we had obviously had all of our clothes, also had a bar in the back, a little hangout, TV, music going, um, and had customers coming in and spending, you know, a couple hours in the store and like not leaving, just wanted to hang out. Um, and not only that, there was, you know, people wandering around outside, like, what is going on in there? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I got to go check this out. And, and like Steve said, our branding's out there. And if there's a guy who's either walking down the street in the middle of the summer in Boston, and he's an athletic guy and he's sweating through his shirt and you walk by and you see athletic fit, performance fabric, moisture wicking fabric, dress clothes, it resonates with you and you, and you come on in. So um, we got absolutely hooked on the experience and we found a way to make it work financially uh, pretty, pretty fast, I would say, um, to where, you know, these stores were not only a great place to, 
you know, cater to our current customers, but it was a, a great way for us to acquire more customers. Um, obviously, a lot has changed in the past couple months here, but you know, before you know, in 2019, the retail was such a big part of our business, um, and we're looking forward to you know things calming down a little bit so we can get back to that because we really feel like if the experience is there and the product is there and someone great is working your store. Um, there's still nothing quite like walking into a clothing store and, and, and buying clothes and having the satisfaction of leaving with it. What are some other ways in which you guys are, you know, beyond just, you know, obviously selling of selling the clothes, you know, how else are you using the, uh, the retail side of things to build out the brand and kind of further the community that you're built up around the, uh, the actual products, actual clothes? I think a, a part of it, you know, early on was there was definitely a feel in our stores that this wasn't like a traditional retail store. Um, you know, there's couches, there's a lounge, there's a bar, um, guys are hanging out, there's sports on TV. Um, you know, our, all of our first store workers were recently retired, you know, hockey players um, who were sort of trying to figure out what they wanted to do now that they were done playing. Um, you know, I think over time we've evolved that a little bit. It's a little classier in there. Um, you know, we've obviously expanded, you know, who's working those stores. Um, but we definitely still want to give that vibe of you're sort of, you know, you're in a locker room in there, you're in a clubhouse, um, you know, there you're having a drink, you're hanging out, you're watching TV, you're also shopping. Um, I think it's, it's certainly been a challenge for us to make that a scalable experience. Um, you know, as we need to hire more people and we can't be there as much. And, um, you know, when the founder's there every weekend, um, it's a lot easier to sort of impart exactly how we want that feel to be. I think when, you know, we have 12 stores and maybe we visit each one, you know, two or three times a year, um, it's a lot harder. And so uh, sort of figuring out how we manage that feel side of it um, continues to be a challenge for us. Well, and one of the things you guys mentioned, you, you mentioned the, the importance and the power of story, the story of the brand and being able to convey that. And, you know, I would imagine it's obviously very easy for you guys to convey it. But how do you get, you know, that that guy working in the, you know, in one of the retail stores, how do you get him up to speed and get him confident, get him comfortable continuing to kind of tell that story and share that story with customers? Yeah, I mean, it takes time and is, is certainly uh, you know very challenging. And, you know, a big thing that that bothers us is um, when a, a store worker is using like Oh yeah, like they came out with uh, you know new dress shirts, and it's like no, like we did. Like we're on the same team here, um, and that that type of thing just takes time. Um, and I think that you know our training has gotten a lot better, and I think it needs to continue to get a lot better. And uh, you know, whenever there's a store opening, you know, Steve Rye is gonna we're gonna go out there and work the store with the new manager for you know a week, um, so they know us on a personal level, and they get to know us, ask questions, they see how we interact with customers, and I think that that makes a um, a huge difference. And I think that no matter in, in how big the company gets, I don't see a time where we're going to have a new store manager, um, someone new taking over that like we're not going to work with for a week on a personal level um, so that they can understand how, you know, how we do things and, and get to know us too and get to know the, the story and the brand. For sure. You know, I'm looking at you know, all the all the different locations that you guys do have. It looks like you have a pretty decent, uh, you know, broad stroke of geographies. You know, 
did you have a, a plan in action on you know where you wanted to focus on first? Obviously, Boston, because there was an opportunity on Newberry Street. But as you continue to grow and put more stores into the portfolio, was there any sort of uh, strategic effort in where you wanted to go next? Or was it just ad hoc? Hey, here's a cool opportunity. Here's where some people are. Like, Talk to us a little about how those decisions were made. I think it's a, you know, I, I would say that choosing store locations is much more an art than a science. I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of data out there on foot traffic and median income within two miles of the store and mm-hmm. things like that. And I, I think those things can certainly be valuable. Um, I don't think anything has been more valuable to us than going to a street, walking the street, checking it out, talking to other, you know, stores um, that are already there, how they're doing, who their customer is, who's coming in, how it compares to, you know, other stores that they have. Um, and, you know, we've been really lucky to be able to talk to a bunch of these stores and have a feel for, you know, who sort of has a similar customer to us, go in and chat the store, you know, manager up. We're not a competitor. We're just looking for some information, um, you know, on on how you're doing here. We're, you know, we have a store next to you in, in Boston. We have a store next to you in DC. How's your store in Chicago do um, in comparison to those? Um, I would say also it was places we knew. Um, you know, I grew up in DC. Um, Lee grew up in New England, obviously he had a feel for Newbury street. Um, I always knew that like Georgetown's a great shopping spot. That was our second store after Newbury street. Um, you know, our next couple stores after that, Charleston was just, a, you know, that's where Lee was playing, uh, hockey the first year that we started the company, loved it there, thought it could do well on King street. Um, you know, I, I think as time's gone on, we've expanded beyond places that coming in, we personally knew, um, but you know, early on, you know, it was, it was such a gut feeling thing of whether or not an area would work. It still, still is really still is, yeah. camping out. Yeah. It's just, like Steve said, it's definitely more of an art and just a, it's a feel thing more than, more than numbers. And I think another thing too, that helps is, you know, Steve said, we're not competitors. You can also go into a competitor store and say you're a retail consultant that's working for, you know, doing some data type stuff and people give you a lot of information. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've gotten, we've gotten pretty good at that as well to, uh, you know, get some more feedback on areas. Love it. And is the pop-up model something that you're continuing to do as you go and look at new markets? Or is that just the first few stores just to get a feel for it? I think especially right now, we'd be certainly hard-pressed to, to go into any market um, and start out with a long-term deal. Hmm. Um, I think the great thing about the pop-ups has been, I mean, there's really countless things. I would say one is that um, it makes having sort of a, a mediocre um layout in the store much more acceptable you know like why do you have this over here why do you have that over there what's going on with the floor in here it's like hey it's a pop-up sorry Mm, Um, we're only here for a couple months Um, (laughs) so it's allowed us to not put a lot of money in early on it's also obviously allowed us to to test an area and see if it's somewhere that we do want you know a long-term store um from a marketing perspective sorry steve from a marketing perspective um the pop-up language is very funny on like people walk by it says everything we do, athletic fit, performance fabric, all this stuff. They don't see any of that. They see pop-up and like, we got to go in and see this pop-up, see what they're all about because they're not going to be here next time. So we got to get in there. So I think it, it kind of creates like an urgency. Um, you know, we've had stores around for two years that still have pop-up signage outside and it still brings people in. So uh, we're usually not in a rush to, to take that off our signage. <laughs> Got it. You know, David, I, I do want to jump into the founders dynamic and have a conversation there. But right before, I'm I'm, just, I'm really curious, guys, and I don't mean to make a comparison to Abercrombie, but in in a few years ago, the CEO of Abercrombie, no longer there, talked about how 
got a lot of a flack for being su- so super niche and really too niche and how they were offering their clothes. And obviously you are a very niche, niche, very focused operation. And so I'm curious in your starting in the last couple of years, have you gotten pushback about clothing sizes and how it only comes that it's only meant for people with a certain body type? Like, have you reached any of that uh, sort of pushback at all? I think certainly from time. Well, I think there's two types of pushback we get, right? One early on was from investors um, when we were sort of pitching this to them. Um, and that pushback was like, hey, this market isn't nearly big enough. Why don't you, mm-hmm. you know, go after a bigger market? Um, that turned out to be a blessing in disguise, I would say, and that, you know, we didn't change. And, um, you know, we were able to, to make this work on our own without having people looking over our shoulder that were, you know, investors. Um, the other feedback is obviously from customers. I think we sort of you know, assuage those fears, I guess, in a couple ways. One of which is, um, you know, we offer custom clothing in our stores, custom sizing. Um, so if somebody's like, Hey, I can't believe, you know, this fit is so aggressive. We can be like, well, you know, we can, we can add three inches in the waist for you if you need it. Um, I would also say that I, I think that our customer really appreciates, um, the fit that we go for. Um, you know, there's nobody out there tailoring to them. You know, if you're, if you want something that's, you know, a square, um, you know, no, no, no smaller in the waist than it is in the chest, there's plenty of stuff out there. If you want something that's way more tapered, you know, there isn't. Um, and so we're just trying to fill that gap for the people who want those clothes. Gotcha. Brilliant. So moving on to the founders dynamic, David, I, I know that we had a really great conversation with with Diamond and with uh, with Chelsea at uh, Not Sorry Apparel, but really curious to hear these these guys' perspective and how they work so well together. So obviously, Lee, you talk about your your marketing and branding perspective is kind of your value proposition personally, and um, and Stephen, you, you talk about your um, you know business operations experience and analytics experience. But what is the cohesion that exist between you two why do you guys work so well together we've never talked about this uh i think i think we're both um like willing to be vulnerable in like things that we don't know a lot about or uh, not confident in um and like willing to lean on each other for those you know in those moments i think i think that's important um i think we're both like willing to like put our egos aside if we're really split up on a decision i think it's you know, it's rare that we're ever going to like disagree on something. And then like one of us walk away pissed off. It always comes to a compromise, I would say, um, that we're both like pretty happy with. Um, but yeah, I think, I think in a lot of ways, we're, we're very fortunate that we, that we see things eye to eye on, on, on a lot of things. Um, and the things that we don't, we, you know, sit down, maybe have a beer or two and, and just kind of figure it out and, and talk through it. I think the other thing on that is that I, I think we both have things that we, we might disagree on something, but like in terms of like putting our ego aside too, there's things that we defer to each other on. So like we might disagree on something, but if it's, you know, something around a specific topic, I'm going to be like, Hey, like your call, you know, I, I disagree, but like, if, if you think that's the way to go, like, let's do it. Um, and I, and vice versa. Um, and so I think that that's been, that's been really valuable. I, um, not to keep pulling like old quotes, um, you know, in from, from other founders, but, uh, I feel like there was one, I think it was, Bezos, um, that talked about like what they do at Amazon where, um, they'll like fight stuff out, but then it's like, um, disagree and commit. So, um, you know, Hey, I don't think this is the right way to go, but like, if we're going to go this route, I'm going to do everything I can to make it successful. Hmm. Um, and I think that we definitely have that, um, general, like, you know, strategy when we, when we disagree on something. 
Yeah, I think when we're wrong on stuff too, which happens quite frequently, it's just like, it's wrong, address it. There's no point in kind of festering about it. Like, let's move on and get better for the future. Um, you know, I think that's something we're trying to instill, not only with us, but everyone at the company. But it sounds like, you know, working towards kind of a, a common vision for the company and for the brand really helps with that because there's not a lot of disagreement in terms of what you guys are trying to create. The focus and the energy is on, you know, what's, what's the best way to get there? How do we do that? And so, you know, what did it take for you guys to get to kind of a common or an aligned view on the vision for the company, the vision for the brand and where you were trying to go? I was going to say that I, I think that early on there was probably a little more um, disagreement on that than, than there has been in the last four years. I think in the first year, um, A, when we were like living in different places, trying to figure out what we were doing, what we were doing with our lives, um, you know, all these things, like a lot of those questions were, were tougher, um, you know, when we're talking about like whether or not to take investment, whether or not to, you know, I think there, there were certainly discussions at one point of like moving to New York, um, you know, things like that. I, I think um, once we sort of got to the point where it's like, um, you know, we're not going to take money and we're going to try to do this in Michigan for now, um, it, it became a lot easier to be on the same page about like almost all those decisions, I think. Um, and I think that was partly our decision and partly, you know, investors' decision who didn't want to give us any money. So, yeah. Um, Steve definitely hit on this, but definitely a blessing that every investor kind of turned us down. And I think that ones that we were closer with that we actually had a personal relationship were like, hey, investor wants a company that you can invest in. You're doing 100 million in revenue and, and you're going to get to 500 million in, in seven years. Um, you know, they didn't believe that that we could do that. But their advice was there's no shame in, in growing a $75 million revenue business, $100 million revenue business. And um you know, just running it as a, you know, a good, a good lifestyle business. We're still ambitious guys. We still want to grow sales as much as possible, but doing it in the right way, doing it in a profitable way, um, kind of got instilled early on. And we definitely had this like chip on our shoulder of like, we're doing this thing ourselves. We don't need any other help. Um, and I, I think once, I think like Steve said, once that kind of like seed investment or series A kind of stuff was out the door, um, you know, everything kind of aligned on as far as our business vision, I would say. Wow. And so up until this point, and even to today, you guys are 100% bootstrapped. You have no other investors or are there friends and family who have helped kind of throw, throw some dollars in as well? No, it's, it's all us. I mean, we, uh, I guess there's some federal government PPP money in there. Right of now. course. But, uh, um, <laughs> no shame that, there for sure. Yeah. Um, other than that, I, you know, it was Lee and I put in, uh, I think it was $3,000 um, each, you know, in that first year to sort of buy the first set of shirts and then you know everything beyond that's been been cash flow wow and so you were cash flow positive in the first year yeah it helps when you have no cost no expenses right yeah um, yeah you know, we weren't paying ourselves we had no rent to pay um you know so so that certainly helped but yeah And, and talking on that founders dynamic as well so those obviously the, the awesome cohesions between you two but what are some of the differences other than the ones that you've shared so far that have really helped you guys move forward as a business and continue to grow? Stumped us. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it's like, I, I think that it's, you know, kind of like we mentioned earlier, um, there's just stuff on numbers operations side that, that Steve is just, you know, really on top of and um has just made 
know everything at the company way way more efficient that like that's certainly not a not a strong suit for me um you know especially in the early days um so i do think that the differences that we had um you know played a played a huge role in helping us get to where we are i just horrible job answering that no, no. I think back to a conversation Lee and I were having yesterday um, that's sort of like a perfect microcosm of this, just chatting about advertising. Um, and he has this gut feeling that we should be showing ads to people more. Um, and I'm like looking at the numbers and I'm like, there's no way that we can show ads to these people more and make this make sense. And we're probably going to try it and see how it goes. But I, I think that if either of us were, you know, 100% in charge um, of like making that decision, um, we probably would have gone too far in one direction. Um, and so having that compromise of him having like a gut feel on something, um, on like how much we need to be, how many times we need somebody to see a video to actually buy the product. Um, and me saying like, look, they didn't click on the link the first time. And like our return on ad spend on this already isn't great. Mm. Um, you know, we, I would have said, let's just cut, cut it completely. Um, he would have said, let's ramp this way up. Um, and I think we'll, we'll probably end up somewhere in the middle and see how it goes. Um, I don't have a ton of other examples off the top of my head, but I, I think that ha- that happens quite a bit um, on on various things. For sure. And is it, I'm trying to, re- to remember, I, I believe I had met your COO on a train to Chicago one time. And so talk a little about who else is involved from a corporate perspective. Obviously you have store managers in each of the stores, but who else is involved in running the operations of the business? He's in the room with me right now. So I'm going to have Steve talk about him. Um, yeah, so, uh, I guess that would be Jake. Um, Jake, that's right. Blonde haired kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, kids, a good, you know, explanation of, of where he was when he started with us too. I mean, he was a college sophomore, started as an intern, um, and, uh, just really bullied his way into the company. I would say, um, we had, we had no other employees at the time. Um, you know, we sort of had a mutual connection and he came on and, um, started helping us out. Um, and just, I mean, worked his way to being obviously, so I guess, you know, was always, you know, going to be the third employee, but worked his way to being somebody that we, you know, never thought about hiring somebody above him. Um, and, uh, you know, he's been an unbelievable asset for us. Yeah. That was a funny story. We were, I was a train, train to Chicago and I, I can't remember, David, what client meeting I was going for, but I was in a full suit, state liberty suit, obviously. And I go to the, like the beverage cart and he goes, Hey man, is that, is that state liberty? I'm like, Yes, it is. Do you know State Liberty? You know, thinking it's like the craziest thing ever. He goes, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm the COO there. I'm like, oh no shit. Oh, so cool. Uh, but yeah, seem, I mean, seemed like just a, a really, really great guy. And to be able to recognize that brand, whether he works with the company or not, is obviously a part of the reason you've built this brand. Like, hey, that's a very specific fit, a very specific style. And it's worth, you know, stopping someone on the street to say something. Totally. So I, I'm curious, Stephen. You mentioned, you know, that you know, you know, some of the investors you guys talked to uh, early on maybe pushed or encouraged you to think about relocating the company to a place like New York, or you know, I'm sure there were some other more, you know, sort of industry relevant cities that they were probably encouraging you guys to consider relocating to. What was it? What is it about Michigan and this area that kind of keeps you here that you, you know, tells you guys like, this is the right place for this company to be. And this is where we need to be. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things, I, you know, I, I think one, um, I think just from a, um, from an ideological standpoint, it's beneficial to be here. I mean, when you think about the the companies that have been built in Michigan that are, you know, 
hundreds of years old, sustainable, um, you know, car companies to, to, you know, General Electric and others um, that you, that you hear about here. Uh, it's very different than the kind of companies I think right now being built on the coasts. Um, and I think that that was re- that mindset of building something that's profitable from day one was super beneficial for us. Um, and I think especially now when, um, you know, you hear a lot about these, you know, direct consumer companies that are having huge issues because they're burning through tons of cash and nobody wants to give them more because they don't really see a route to profitability. Um, I think that that general ide- ideology is certainly more prevalent on the coast. And I think we would have been much more likely to be sort of overtaken by it um, if we were a part of that culture day in and day out. Um, I also think that this is just like a very, very nice place to live, right? Um, the Midwest, uh, you know, we, Lee and I both live about seven minutes from our office, which is really nice. Um, you know, uh, things are extremely affordable compared to, you know, the coasts. Um, and that's not just office space, but employees, you know, their, uh, places they live are way more affordable places. We live are way more affordable. We don't have to pay people what, you know, they would have to be paid in Manhattan to be doing the same job and, you know, live the same quality of life. Um, and so I think for those reasons, um, you know, Michigan's been been a really nice place to grow this business. I don't know if Lee has anything to add to that, but no, I think you I think you hit it on the head there. And do you guys see Michigan staying as the the main source of operations for State and Liberty going forward? Yeah, I, I think definitely. Um, you know, we've just planted such a such a stake here, and um, you know, I think we have around like 10 to 12 employees that are, that are Ann Arbor based. So, I mean, that's another thing. It, it's not like this happened, you know, completely on purpose. Obviously we liked being in Michigan or else we would have left, but um, you know, before we knew it, we had an office, had a warehouse, had five employees, had seven employees now have, you know, 10. Um, so it just kind of like, you know, transformed into, into our home uh, and the company's home for sure. It's also crazy too. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, you know, it's funny in other cities with the store specifically, um, you know, we have State and Liberty, Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, and there's still so many people who walk by who know State and Liberty is an intersection in Ann Arbor, or they say, oh, this is an Ann Arbor company, like we should go in and check it out. Um, it's amazing for what a, I wouldn't say small college town, but for a college town, you know, Ann Arbor really carries a, a lot of weight in, in the country and it is uh, really widely recognized. Uh, Steven, yeah. I'll cut you off. I think you were going to add. Yeah, I was just going to say too. I, I think that like obviously things are different right now, but when you look at um, when you look at last year, um, and I, I would think next year, although who knows, um, you know, when things will sort of get back to normal. But um, Lee and I were definitely like based in Ann Arbor, um, but I mean, we were probably on the road a hundred plus days a year. Um, whether that's you know overseas looking at you know new fabrics and factories and things like that, or um, you know, checking out uh, stores, working on stores, opening stores, checking out places for potential new stores. Um, you know, we were we were sort of all over the place, and so um, I think that's sort of another benefit of Michigan is a nice airport, but um, b it's it's sort of a more low key place to come back to um, as a part of like a pretty hectic lifestyle that that we were living. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll get back to that at some point. I'm not sure exactly when, um, but uh, it it certainly um, was pretty wild for a while there. Yeah. So how are you guys doing with, uh, with being grounded? Uh, you know, cause as traveling consultants on this side, uh, our, you know, lives were somewhat similar. And the fact that I haven't been on an airplane in four months is a little bit, uh, 
strange and bizarre. So I'm kind of curious how you guys are dealing with the, you know, lack of airports, lack of hotels, lack of travel. I think it's been a good change of pace to a certain degree. I mean, it's definitely weird, I would say, um, you know, but uh, it's been it's been nice to, to have some time here um, without running all over the place. And I think that it's definitely given us the time at the office to focus on things that if we were continuously running around, we wouldn't have focused on that definitely needed our attention. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to Ann Arbor and the founding of State and Liberty. Obviously, the two most famous streets in Ann Arbor, frankly, being the heart of, of campus in a lot of ways. So it was probably pretty important to you guys to have a name that was associated with the place that you met, the founding of the company, Ann Arbor, University of Michigan, State of Michigan. Um, did the name beget the idea? Did the idea beget the name? Like, Talk to us about how you came to such an awesome conclusion for a very cool name. I don't remember exactly, but it was it was very challenging from what I remember. Artist, I think I think it was one of the last. Yeah, I think it was like the last thing we decided on. Like, I think we had product. I think we had a functioning website, maybe, um, and like we're really struggling to, to come up with a name. Um, but yeah, I think we're we're really happy with kind of uh, what we landed on there. Wow. Yeah, it sounds a little better than you know Washington and Plymouth or trying to think other. Yeah, Hoover and Hoover and State was Steve was really yeah. lobbying for that one. Yeah, Hoover and State. Yeah. Um, I do think I do think another benefit of like State and Liberty, the name is, uh, you know, we like Lee was saying, we had a ton of people coming into the store. That's like, oh, State and Liberty, inter- you know, intersection in Ann Arbor. That's awesome. Like, what do you guys do? Whatever. Um, you know, so Michigan people get it, um, and people who aren't you know from Ann Arbor or from Michigan or didn't go here are like, oh, State and Liberty, that's a great American name. <laughs> Patriots. Yeah. Absolute patriots. So that that definitely works in our favor too. Oh, it's great. Um, so, David, I, I think uh, we can sort of move into our segments here. We're at the forty-five minute mark. I think we're doing great with timing, which is unlike us in a lot of ways. Um, any other questions about uh, Michigan, about Detroit, about? I think we covered a lot of different things. Anything else before moving into our best horse first segment? Maybe before we go to that, I would I would love to just you know get a, a a quick response or reaction to how you know COVID has impacted your business. You know, clearly it's top of mind for a lot of people right now, and you know everybody's feeling the impact. And so you know, would love to just get a sense from you guys on what kind of an impact it's had on you know obviously you know sales, but also just in how you guys are running and managing things. Yeah, I mean it's had a. Um an enormous impact. Um, you know, a bulk of our sales were coming from retail, brick and mortar retail, obviously, um, that was gone. And then, uh, that mixed with consumer spending being down mixed with, uh, no one going to the office and specializing in dress slacks and dress clothes, um, is a, is a, a tough thing for us right now. And I think that the, you know, being competitive guys and not even looking at sales as money, but as a scoreboard for how things are going, um, you know, the, the mentality's changed from these lofty sales goals and growth to survival. Um, and I think that, you know, there's been some ups and downs throughout this whole thing, but where we stand right now, um, as far as survival stands, like we're just, we're in a great spot to do that. And the support that we've gotten from customers has been overwhelming. Um, and I think we've done a nice job being able to pivot to some more casual product um, where our customers 
um, whether they want the product or not, they're they're buying it. Whether they're looking to help us out or they or they really need it, um, either way, they're picking it up. So, all things considered, um, you know, we really think things are going great. I would also say I, I think that you know something we talked a little bit about earlier is just you know um, the naivete starting out and how we did things differently with our you know manufacturing and cash flow and and you know so many different things. And I think that that sort of um, you know bootstrapping mentality and like move fast mentality, you know, carries through to today. Um, and I think it's been extremely val- like the fact that we still do things that way was extremely valuable for us through this time. You know, um, we're hearing from people that like, we're going to need cloth masks and, you know, we're talking to our tailor shop and, you know, we've got a prototype cloth mask within a couple days. Um, you know, we change it, we work on it. Um, you know, we get to a point where, um, you know, we have a product we like, and we know we can spin it up really quickly because it's essentially our factory if we need to. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a huge shortage of cloth masks out there and we were able to, you know, get them going really fast. Um, and that was, you know, not only awesome to be able to do for, you know, the University of Michigan hospital and you know, the community and whatever, but, you know, being able to do some of these for businesses and things like that was a huge help for our bottom line. Um, you know, during a time when people weren't buying a lot of dress shirts, they were buying a lot of cloth masks. Hmm. Um, I would say the same thing's true on the casual side as we were you know, because of the way we do things, we sacrifice a little bit of margin, but um, we were able to move really fast to to get V-necks made and, sh- uh, you know, different Henleys and um, move toward hoodies and sweatpants and things like that, that, um, you know, we never necessarily thought we'd be coming out with this year, but the times necessitated it and we were able to make yeah. it happen. The work from home uniform for sure. Yeah, exactly. Big time. Excellent. So moving into segments, we have two big segments that we always do in every show. Um, the first one we'll do is uh, the the root change jar. And if we were in person at the Foundation Hotel, which is where we do most of these shows, we have an actual jar with a bunch of different cards in it. And we'll have our guests pick out one card. And it's one question that we all ask and, uh, and I'll answer. Because we don't have the luxury of that, I picked one myself and put it into into the show notes. And it's it's a first question. And so the question here is, when, when was the first time that you realized you were good at your job? And this could be the current job running State and Liberty. It could be a former job. It could be your very first job working in, in, in an ice cream shop. So a specific time that you remember where you were like, wow, I am really good at what I do. I don't know if we've ever had that exact feeling, I would say. Um, uh, but I, I think this is more so about like, I guess this answer would be more so about the company than, um, me personally. Um, but I, I remember we, uh, you know, we came out when we originally started the company, we came out with two shirts, a white shirt and a blue gingham shirt. And that was it. That's all we offered. Um, and we came out, that was like January or so of 2015. Um, and we, uh, we came out with three new shirts. I think it was a, I guess it was a solid light blue, a black, like big check and a pink, like micro check. Um, in, I guess it was like April or May somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, you know, we put those on sale and just got a ton of people, which was probably like 10 at the time. Um, but it felt like a ton, um, that bought it like the bought those the second we put them on sale. Um, and I think that for me, I remember I was overseas at the time, uh, visiting my girlfriend. Um, and it was like, wow, we might really have something here. Um, you know, people not just bought it to like help us out the first time, but like people are actually reordering, um, you know, more products. Um, and I think that that, uh, that's, I think when I first thought like, oh, this is like, this might really work. Yeah. I would say 
Steve was like kind of hitting on this in the beginning, but if, if anyone who like knows us really well, um, there's like kind of no, we're never really satisfied with any of the work that we're doing and we're always looking for improvement. Um, we're not big, uh, pat ourselves in the backs type guy or to each other, uh, for that matter. So I, I think that's, that's kind of like a big part of the, the company culture, I would say of just like, we're never going to get the perfection, but we're certainly uh, aiming to get there every time we put something out or product or marketing, whatever it is. Um, and then just a, you know, a company moment, I would say when we do these sample sales, um, which is, you know, essentially we're doing prototype stuff that we've worked on, um, you know, which really adds up and you guys can see behind me, but it, it really does add up with the amount of stuff we have. And the fact that, you know, we'll get in Ann Arbor, get like 75 to 80 people who will RSVP to like come and shop, like mess around clothes that, that like we're not going to come out with. Um, but it's still like cool product. But, um, you know, the fact that we'll have like a line out the door um, for people coming in to like shop with us uh, is always like a pretty, pretty unique thing. And it's like, wow, like people really, really like what we're doing. And I think that, you know, Steve and I had this type of feeling for other brands, Um where like you're you know, looking for a sample sale or looking to go into like a Lulu labs or whatever it is and check out what they're working on. Um, and I think that that's a pretty cool experience for us. Love it. Yeah, David, I've been to two of those sample sales. I think half of my shirts from state and Liberty are from sample sales, just taking a full, a full rack uh, out there. So keep those up guys. I appreciate them. <laughs> Got to accumulate the product first, but yeah, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun and really fun to interact with customers during them. Got it. David, how about for you? You can choose Root, you can choose ESPN, you can choose you know any job that you started. When was the first time you realized you were good at, at that job? Wow. I was worried you were going to bring this around to me. So you know, I'm inherently probably too insecure of a person to ever feel like I'm good at something, you know, proficient, I think is as you know, as as close as I can get. Uh, I always sort of use that um, uh, that unease or inability to, you know, really feel competent in something as a, as a motivator to continue to try and get better. And so I think I've gotten, you know, through the years, pretty good at trying to continue to up my game and get better at things. But what I will say is, um, the first time that I felt really like competent at something was actually my first job making pizzas back in high school. And man, one day they let me on the, uh, they let me at back there at the, uh, the assembly line and, I put together a, uh, a pepperoni and mushroom pizza that was just to die for. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. And watching that thing come out of the oven in all of its, you know, bubbling, gooey glory uh, was a was a pretty rewarding experience. So that was the first time I kind of felt, you know, like competent at something. So that was kind of nice. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Love it. You know, I, I go back to the job that I had in high school was actually working in retail. So I was, uh, I was a associate retail consultant was my title, which really was just working in the home and kids section at Kohl's at, at the Kohl's in Brighton, Michigan. And I absolutely hated that job. I just, I could not, God bless you guys for being in that space because I, I just, uh, I mean, Cole's is very different than State and Liberty, but still, the the idea of working in retail is a slog. But I was in high school; I was the only guy that was working there uh, at the time that I was I was there, which was pretty wild. So the one day there was like this lady who was irate at the counter. She was so pissed because her thirty percent coupon, like expired or wasn't it was, some, it was something it was a Karen type moment you know what I'm saying like absolutely like, let me talk to your manager like that sort of a thing and I just handled it with such 
honestly such grace because I didn't know how the hell else to handle it. Like I was, I'm just trying to throw the charm at her and try to get, you know, try to get it happening. And, and as she left, I'll never forget this. She, it was almost as if she was putting on a show with my manager, like yelling at him and yelling at him. And as Eric, my manager left the scene of the crime, she looked at me, gave me a wink and said, you were really great during that and walked away. So that was like, so funny to me that those Karens in the world, they're they're not actually mad. Yeah, they just know they just know they can get something from someone else and they're not going to you know do it to a kid. They're going to do it to the manager, but, you know, still show the kids some love who is having to deal with it the whole time. So thank you to uh, that Karen from back in probably 2014. <laughs> Way to roll with it, Nolan. Way to roll with it. Trying to make it happen. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. So uh, we're at the 55 minute mark and I, I want to get into final message here, David. And uh, oftentimes we we really focus this show as our listeners are uh, around the city of Detroit. Um, and we won't do that here, just knowing about the, the broadened space of just all about Michigan. But um, I'm really curious from from uh, Lee and Steven's perspective, like what is one message that you want to share to your next customer? And what I mean by that is, a customer who doesn't know your brand right now, doesn't have any idea what you're about, what the story is. What is one message you want to share to that person who maybe is working hard at the gym, but doesn't know St. Liberty exists just yet? Lee's the market. I mean, I hate, yeah, I mean, you'd like, I hate to like jump into a full on script, but I think you, you would do the same, you know, the same thing that you would do to any customer who walks in the door, who doesn't know uh, about the brand. Um, and, you know, just, letting them know the value props. Uh, you know, you're an athlete, you're an in-shape guy and, and relating with them about how I'm sure it's been very difficult for them to find great fitting dress clothes. And that's what we're here to do. Um, and on top of that, you know, our fabrics are going to be the performance fabric, stretchy, moisture wicking, super low maintenance, wrinkle free. Um, it's going to be the best fitting, feeling, looking dress clothes you've ever put on. Um, I think just like beyond that, and I think something that, that worries us as business owners is, you know, this, we're a company that's going to go to extreme, extreme lengths to make sure that you're satisfied with your experience at the company. Um, and I think something that, that worries us at times is if someone does get a shirt where the button falls off or the stitching is a little loose, which is going to happen. Um, and if they don't reach out to us and let us rectify that situation, um, that's something that, that worries us. But like I said, I think, you know, would kind of hop right into the pitch, but ultimately, you know, want them to know, that we want them to be a customer for life and we're ready to do just about whatever it takes to make that happen. Uh, even if it's just over one ninety dollar dress shirt. Hmm. Steven, anything to add? I mean, that was, that was gold. We'll make sure we have that as a little notch and we'll send that to you separately. That was perfectly. <laughs> no, I, I think he nailed it. I think, uh, I think that's what we're trying to get across. I think, um, I think the, the only thing I would add is that um, I think especially now as we expand our product line, I think something that um, you know we, we're starting to think about more is like we want to be your go-to brand for you know anytime you're not in the gym, essentially. Like we're not trying to compete against Nike and Lulu and, and places like that on workout clothes, at least right now. But um, you know, I think we'd like to get to a point where anything else you're going to wear, you can get it from us. Um, and it's going to fit you better and feel better than anybody else out there. Got it. Wow. Beautiful. David, did these guys make you a believer? Are you going to be? Yeah, I was just thinking. State lib? Well, I, yeah, I was just thinking like, how can I, you know, run my next marathon in a state and Liberty shirt? 
uh, as you know, <laughs> as a little bit of a, a gimmick there. But uh, you know, I, I do know that the you know, based on what these guys tell me, that fabric is incredibly comfortable. So uh, yeah, I am uh, I am a believer, Nolan. I am bought in, and I uh, can't wait to get my hands on some. Although I'm not sure after the uh, the COVID weight that I've been putting on whether or not I'm of the appropriate body type anymore. So I have a little bit of work to do to maybe get back to that tailored fit. It seems like no one has stayed the same during this time period. Either people have gained quite a bit of weight or they've taken the time to like, you know, really get serious and, uh, and lose a bunch of pounds. But it's funny. we got a bunch of customers reaching out to us about, about the same thing. Hey, I added a few, I lost a few. <laughs> um, so it's always, it's always funny to hear those reactions. You know, if anything, the, these shirts and this fit just motivates me to keep working out. You know what I mean? Like if I want to continue looking good in these shirts, I got to get those shoulders broadening. You know, I started, I got to start lifting the right, the right matter around, around the gym. So, you know, kudos to you guys for not wavering away from that. Cause I want to build my body to fit the shirt, not the other way around. We definitely get customers too, who, who get a shirt, have reached out. They're like, Hey, this doesn't fit right now, but I'm not returning it. I, I hung it up in my bathroom and you know. That's my goal for the years to fit into that thing. Wow. Wow. Rock and roll. I'm inspired. Awesome. It's time to get back and get serious. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at uh, my uh, my Bowflex weights I got in the basement here. Like, I'm going to start notching up to 40 pounds and start you know doing some curls here and getting them going. Very good. Well, gentlemen, it, obviously, it's such a pleasure to have you on. It was so great to chit chat over the last hour. Um, before we close things out, where can people who are listening find out about State and Liberty? Stateandliberty.com. Uh, it's the easiest place. We're obviously on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else, but uh, Stateandliberty.com is the easiest spot. And then if you if you do happen to be in one of the cities where we have a store, come in and visit and say hi. Rock and roll. So Lee, Lee Moffie, Stephen Fisher from State and Liberty, thank you so much for being on the Two Spheres podcast. We appreciate your time. And David, until next time. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. <laughs>